0: Father, we come to uh, continue to hear from you, listen to you, um, be ministered to by you, and uh, we come collectively, desperately needing to hear the good news of the gospel, the good news that you are our Father and you love us, so reassure us of that today, reassure us that Christ is our righteousness. We pray these things in his name, amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. My name is Ryan. I'm the pastor here. It's great to be with you as always. Great to worship together and uh, spend some time in the Word together. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, as you just heard read, and continuing on in this thing called the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. So this is uh, one complete sermon that Jesus is traveling through. We're doing the same. We're just a little slower than Jesus. So it takes us a little longer to get through this thing than it, than it did for Him. Um, here's the sermon summary as we get going. And uh, wrapping up chapter 6, the sermon summary is this, Jesus meets us in our anxiety and worry with the good news that God is our loving Father. Jesus meets us in our anxiety and worry with the good news that God is our loving Father. What we talked about before is that Jesus is talking about life in the kingdom, right? Life in this kingdom that is already not yet. In other words, it's kind of a veiled kingdom, it's not completely invisible, but it is veiled, right? And you can't see all of it. This, king, this The kingdom of this world, you can see it all, right? It's all about power and stuff and righteousness here and all that stuff. And Jesus is saying, but the kingdom that I'm talking about, the kingdom that you actually exist in, is otherworldly, we talked about last week, or kind of veiled, and you don't see it all. So live for that kingdom. Same thing he's going to say here. He was saying it last week with a stuff, and today he's kind of continuing on and saying, so why would you worry about that stuff if… You are not of this world, and your stuff is not of this world. So we summarize something like this. Chapter 6, 1 through 18 said, Your righteousness has been provided. No need to work for one. And then the next section was, Your treasure is secure. No need to build one here. And today, your provision is secure. No need to worry. So let's look at the text. If you go to the very first word of chapter 6, That's the big number there on the page, and little number 25 is where we are. And the first word is therefore. And uh, the saying goes, figure out what the therefore is there for. If you use the word therefore, you're continuing your thought. So what did he say before would be a helpful thing to know before we try to trek through what he's about to say. And if we look just above what he said, uh, is said in 25, we go above and we see what we talked about last week and we see certainly the very verse right before, verse 24 of chapter 6, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or and stuff. And so he's saying your life isn't really here. Why would you be involved with uh, all the stuff here so concerned about the stuff here that's not where your life is you're of a different kingdom and so he's continuing that thought here but he's now he's going to talk about the worry associated with that stuff in this kingdom here and so he says three times do not be anxious and notice that in verse 25 do not be anxious in verse 31 do not be anxious and in verse 34 do not be anxious Now, you know I'm not the smartest guy around, but I'm guessing that's a big part of what he's saying here in this section, is do not be anxious. But I want you to hear it correctly, because the way I hear it when I first read this is probably the way you all hear it, which is sort of like, don't be anxious. Gosh, oh, you little faith people, how long will I have to put up with you, you know? I don't know, some of you maybe didn't hear it like that. That's kind of the first way I hear it, like, don't be anxious, as if that's what you need in the moment of your anxiousness, right? Just the statement that you shouldn't be in the state that you're in. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that statement. But I want you to hear it as a, as a, as a picture of this, like a little child who's scared, picked up by the parent, you know? The, the child is extremely freaked out, pip, picked up by the parent. What does the parent say? It's okay. Mom's here. It's okay. Dad's here. No need to worry. I'm right here. Don't be anxious. I've got you. Okay, I'm right here. That's the way I want us to hear this statement. Don't be anxious. Um, one time when we were going somewhere, I think it was just me and uh, two of the kids, Eile and Reed. And um, Reed got in one side of the car. Eile was getting in on the other. And I started the car, and she couldn't open the door. And she just started freaking out, like crying. And I had to go. I, what, did I did, at that point? Did I yell at her? Don't be anxious. Just get in the car. No, I stopped. I said, Eileen, babe, you're my daughter. I, I'm not going to leave without you. I would notice if you weren't with us. There's no reason to fear, okay? There's no reason to fear. I was waiting until you got in the car. And, and so that's, that's the, the kind of way that I think Jesus is speaking to us here. As dependent, needy children, reassuring us, not demanding That we not be anxious. So hear it like that. No need to be anxious, little one. No need to be anxious. Well, the question that you might have then is, well, why? If you're going to tell me not to be anxious, please provide a reason why that I shouldn't be anxious. And Jesus doesn't just say, hey, don't be anxious, but he's so kind to to give illustrations of why and to point us to why we don't need to be anxious. And he gives these. Illustrations, examples, symbols, and we see again that the symbolism is a big deal with God. You know, these kind of symbols that that point us to the way He interacts with us. We have two big ones called sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, communion, that we practice. And those are symbols that carry so much more in them than what you see with your eyes. It's just bread, it's just juice. But it carries so much for us. That's my life right there. That's the reason I'm okay in life right there. That simple bread, that simple juice. I'm washed clean of my sins. It's just regular water poured over a child's head that doesn't even know it's happening. You know? What's the big deal? Oh, that means redemption. That means clean, cleanliness. That means righteousness for me, the righteousness of Christ, clean from my sins. I think of Psalm chapter 1. It says, it talks about a man uh, or a woman who's, planted, who's, who's like a tree planted by streams of water. Well, now I can go to my neighborhood right over here, and there's not a stream of water, but there is a man-made pond. We'll take it. And there's a tree next to it. And I can think when I drive past every day, look at that. God, I hope, I, make me like that. Make me like a tree that's planted by streams of water, constantly nourished by your goodness and care. Would you make me like that? Remember that that's the, the state of my life. When I go on vacation and I sit at the beach, which is where I belong, ah, I'm going there now, and the tide rolls in, and I can remember an old hymn talking about the tide, the even tide, God's grace like an even tide. And so I'm sitting there watching the waves come in and thinking about how God's grace never stops in my life, and it just keeps, keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and there's no stopping. Now, the symbols are a big deal. And Jesus does the same thing here. He's going to give us a couple things to look at and and know that there's more in there than just what we see. He talks about birds in chapter twenty six and lilies in chat and I mean in verse twenty six and lilies in verse twenty eight. Two examples that he gives, and he says, consider the lilies. Look at the birds. Consider the lilies. That's more than just a, a very quick statement of, do you know those birds that fly around? Yeah, well, let me tell you about them. It's a, I want you to pause and watch nature for a second. And I want you to, to, to hear my voice speaking to you in that. Just like I want you to hear my voice speaking to you in, in those other things we just talked about. And And he says, look at the birds in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. He's saying that creation I made to be a parable, to tell you another story. So watch it and reflect and think about it. Watch the birds. Do you see how they just somehow are sustained? Do you see how they don't have a barn where they gather stuff up? Or let's put it in terms we can understand. Do you see how there's no target down the street for them? Do you see how they don't Have Amazon.com where drones drop them stuff in two hours. And somehow, somehow they still exist. Even though we can't imagine an existence without those things, somehow they do. They exist. And God says, watch that. Think about that. And remember, I'm speaking something to you in those those simple things of everyday life. I created it like that for a reason. Because I was speaking something to you. Verse 28 and verse 29. Why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. The flowers of the field, who cares for them? Who tills the soil for them? Who makes sure they get the right sunlight, puts them in the right spot? Who who fertilizes them? Who makes sure they have the right amount of sun, right amount of water, Yada, yada, yada. They don't get choked out by uh, weeds. Who's caring for them exactly? Because they're growing and they look fantastic. God says, I'm I'm telling you something about my care for you in that, in the the birds and in the lilies. Creation is a parable that is speaking to us. It's important for us to, to look at those things and hear and see that deeper meaning of what Jesus has said. Think about them, reflect on them, consider them. Let, let those things be your teacher. A friend of mine um, kind of shocked me one time, but he said, in the morning when I wake up, I go outside and I read, my, I read the first Bible God wrote, nature. And I see what God has to say to me there. And at first I thought, what a heretic, you know? And then I hear these things from Jesus. And I think, yeah, that makes sense that he would go out, sit on his back porch, and just watch God, what do you have to say to me about what I'm seeing here? What are you speaking to me here? It's not to go against Scripture. I think it's to go with what it says here. Like in Romans chapter 1, Paul says something similar. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Paul says, you can know about God by looking at nature. He, he's telling you, so he's speaking to you there in those things. He's telling you about himself. I remember when I was uh, working for this nonprofit and then got fired. And when you get fired from like a Christian nonprofit, you know you're like at the bottom of the barrel, you know? So that's me. And uh, let's move on quickly. And so I got fired from that. And uh, I remember thinking we had just moved to Columbus, Ohio, and had a house. It was about a year into this thing. And we're like, oh, what do we do now? You know? And I remember taking a walk and seeing something like it was you know, some flower or something on, in the rocks or on the path. And I, God kind of stopped me. I was like, just look at that. Is that, is that worried about how it's going to sustain tomorrow? It's not. You don't either. I've got you covered. You don't know what tomorrow brings. I do. Relax. And so you see how those things kind of speak to you and minister to you in that moment. God speaks to you through those things. The sermon summary is this Jesus meets us in our anxiety and worry with the good news that God is our loving Father. Verse 26 Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Verse 30, how much more will He clothe you? Verse 32, your heavenly Father knows your need. Continually going back to the fact that God is our heavenly Father who's caring for us, who knows our needs. Therefore, this is the reason there's no, re- no reason to worry, because God is our Father. But in regards to righteousness, what we looked at before, what happens with us on a, on a daily basis is our anemic faith causes us to say, I don't know if Jesus is going to be enough. I think I might need to do some other stuff. Or, oh my gosh, I, I've sinned again. God's never going to forgive me. And these kind of things. And our, and our little faith is shown in those moments. And the reassuring message of the gospel comes. My righteousness is enough. You're forgiven. You're loved. Same thing here. Things of life, we get all messed up. We think we're in charge of everything. we got to worry about the simple things of life because we don't have anybody else looking over us and caring for us. It's all about what we can do. And God, it's our anemic faith, and God comes through with this as well. Hey, listen, why don't you look outside for a minute? Tell me something about the birds. Tell me something about the flowers. Rest, children. I love you. I'm caring for you. I've got these things wrapped up. You do not need to worry about those things. I'm going to care for those things. Jesus meets us in our anxiety and worry with the good news that God is the Father, our loving Father. When you're a part of God's kingdom, the good news is that you don't have to spend your life worrying about your life. You know, you don't have to spend your life consumed with your life. That's one of the beautiful things that He's freed us from. And so, He he goes into then the positive command in verse 25, I'm sorry, in verse 33. But I want you to see this uh, maybe a little more simple. If you remove all of the supporting verses and just go with the two statements, you'll see it maybe a little more clearly. But Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious, in verse 25, and then he's going to support that with why you shouldn't be anxious, right? And then he's going to move on to his next point, in verse 33, Um, seek first the kingdom of God. So if you wanted to kind of remove the, the, the support and just put it together, it would look something like that. Do not be anxious, seek the kingdom. There's the simple sentence for us to think about. So this is the positive command. What can we do if our lives aren't consumed with our lives? Seek the kingdom. Now we're free to concern ourselves, not with those everyday needs and things, but we're free to be able to concern ourselves with the kingdom and with the righteousness of God. We can do things like serve one another without concern. We can serve people without concern for repayment. We can love God and love one another. You're free to exist, in other words, much like the existence we once had in the garden with God. Do you remember that? In the very beginning of this story, in the very beginning of history, we're free to exist like that. Think about Adam and Eve in that, in that scenario, in, in the very beginning in Genesis. Were they thinking about, hey, where are we going to get food tomorrow? They didn't worry about clothes because they weren't having that at the moment, but, which is, you know, it's wonderful. So anyway, man and woman there, no clothes together. Okay, that's another sermon. But anyway, they, they're there, they're existing, they, they don't, they're not thinking about that. It's very much like a little child, isn't it? If you ask kids, hey, how did that food get on the table today? I don't know, like we pulled it out from, the, from that magic cabinet over there that just produces food. It's like you understand very little about how this works. You know, mommy and daddy have jobs and, and cars, and we have maintenance on a car that we can drive to. Now, all these things contain. They don't. They don't know anything about that. All they know is I'm hungry, and I can go into the magic cabinet, and there's stuff in there. And that's how it was for Adam and Eve. They were that sort of naive, weren't they? It's just like I'm hungry. Not hungry anymore. This is great. This is some of the best fruit I've ever had. It's wonderful. They cut open watermelons, perfect every time. Is that amazing? I hate wasting $5 on a watermelon. You cut it open, you're like, it's done. I don't know what to do with it now. Just smash it or something. And so this is how they were sustained, just by God. Think of that picture. Not worrying, not anxious, just knowing God was caring for them in that moment and enjoying His care, being loved by Him, loving Him. It was very simple. They were existing as dependent children. Upon a loving and lavish father. he was loving, he loved, loved them, he was with them, he cared for them, he spent time with them. He was lavish. I mean, goodness, the, the, the garden ex- went as far as the eye could see. Like, Which tree would you like to eat from today? There's just miles and miles and miles of trees with fruit. It's wonderful. He's a loving and a lavish father. Look at this picture then of the second Adam, because all of that, as beautiful as it was, got messed up. Lack of faith enters. God is not for you. God is actually against you. He wants to hold you back, and in Genesis chapter 3, you read the serpent saying, I think it's just because God wants you to be like him. That's why he said not to eat from this tree, Um, because then you'll know good and evil, which is kind of partly true, but they bite, pun intended, on that, and sin enters the world. And so they're cast out of Eden, and they don't know God in that way anymore. Enter the second picture. Jesus, the second Adam, he is also met with temptation. The picture looks so similar. You're like, I've heard this story before. But the thing is, his stomach wasn't full with food from the perfect garden. He had been fasting for 40 days when he's met with his temptation. He's depleted, his mind is weak, and the tempter comes to him in that moment and says, hey, listen to me instead of God, and you can have this kingdom. But Jesus, praise God, is faithful. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeds. He is the new Adam, the head of a new race, the church. And now people can once again have this garden-like experience because of what Jesus has done for us. And it's already not yet. So we can have a piece of it here. And that's what Jesus is saying. The garden-like experience of dependent children depending on God for all their needs, part of that can exist now. So live like that now. And you'll, you'll, you'll get to enjoy the full fruit of it in the future. The full expression of it is coming. Uh, Final two things from these verses. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Lest we not think that becoming a Christian sort of removes you from all hardship, anxiety, you know, all cares of the world, That's not what Jesus is saying. He didn't say, hey, don't worry about the cares of this world um, because you shouldn't shouldn't care about things of this world because I'm going to remove all hardship and there's going to be no pain. That's not what he said. And in this last verse, it's extremely clear. Do not be anxious about tomorrow because there won't be any worries tomorrow. No. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. There'll be more worries tomorrow. I don't worry about those today. Those can consume you tomorrow, you know. Those can can be something for tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we're not denying that there's heartache and pain. We're not living in some fairy tale. Jesus isn't isn't telling us to do that. We're living in the reality of that when you become a Christian, it's actually when the struggle begins. Because now we have to say, hold on a minute. God, you're my provider. You love me. You care for me. But look at my life right now. I'm struggling. I think I'm in a bad spot. I I don't know if I'm going to make it. And the struggle begins at that point. It doesn't remove you from it. Now, why does God work like this? I think it's because the way faith grows, and the only way faith grows, is in the seedbed of dependence. And so when he's calling us to exist as dependent children, he's saying, learn faith. Learn trust in me. Learn the fact that I am a loving father. How are you going to learn that? You've read it a million times and yet we still don't get it. How are we going to learn it? Going through these experiences where we must depend fully upon him. And so when he says in verse 30, Oh you of little faith, again, don't hear that like, oh you of little faith. I hear it as oh you of little faith. I know you have little faith. I know you're struggling. I'm the good father. I'm going to come to you in that moment, I'm going to minister to you, I'm going to care for you, I'm going to bless you. And so what we often think are God's curses or God's forgetting us, maybe God's blessing us, where he's he's really allowing us to exist as dependent children, where we can really see how dependent upon him we are, and where he's going to come through and show us what a loving and gracious father he is. That's good news for us who wander about and thinking we have no Father watching over us and providing for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love, for your care. Direct us more often to listen to you, to hear from you from your word allow us to notice the things the signs you've put in place you told us about lilies and birds that tell us about what a loving and caring father you are allow us to notice those things reflect on those things and may those maybe silly symbols give us a deeper appreciation and love for your provision for us you're great dad who always is concerned with his kids and who always takes care of us. I pray that you would minister to those here today who are in that spot where they need provision. The daily needs of life aren't being met. Meet those through miraculous ways and then also meet those through the body of Christ coming around and saying, let us provide for you in this season. Let us help you do that. We'll give glory to you. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.